0: I'm just glad to be with you this morning. I have something I need to tell you before we launch into the Scriptures. Two weeks ago, I got up here and I basically did the post-Myanmar trip uh, report along with a message, and uh, I shared that uh, we really want to partner with Pastor Nopum, and he's uh, taking this huge step to try to acquire some land and to build this youth development center, which is really crucial for the development of this ministry and I ask you to pray about that and I want to let you know that just in an amazing answer to prayer over the last two weeks the funds have come in so that not only can the land be purchased but most likely we'll be able to build the building on the land this community center so I'm saying this is amazing this is really amazing so, you know, and I, I, told, I told Pastor Nopum. I mean, I think it's a sign of God's blessing on a lot of things, but I think it's a sign of his blessing on our partnership with him as well. And so we'll be excited to see how that will continue to develop. The second thing I want to say is I just want to do a shout out for Pastor Eric and his amazing sermon last week. That was so great as Eric took us into the third trait of the seven traits of a living, healthy church. He took us to trait number three, and that trait is the trait of gratitude. And Eric introduced us to a phrase which is resonating with a lot of people, and it's called not just any kind of gratitude, but gospel gratitude. Man, that was a great word, gospel gratitude. So if you think about the seven traits, we're, we've done three of the traits, and the three traits go like this. Jesus, gospel, gratitude. That's really easy to remember, isn't it? Jesus, gospel, gratitude. And you need to know those traits. We're talking about these things because they matter. We're talking about these things because the life of the church matters. At River West Church, we actually believe in the church. We believe that it's God's plan. We believe that God works through the church and we believe that you are God's church. It's not this building. It's not an organization. It's not just a concept or an abstract idea floating out there somewhere in theology land. It's actually us. It's us. The health of any living church is dependent upon the people in the church the Christians, the body of Christ. So as you hear these traits, Jesus, gospel, gratitude, so you've got to realize that, that what God is challenging us to do is for each one of us to understand and to live those traits in our lives. And we've come to trait number three, and we're going to go for week two. So um, about a year ago in the fall, I took a trip with my wife, my kids, my three grandchildren. We went to Hood River. And it was kind of a beautiful fall day like this. The sun was shining. It was super cool. We went to Hood River and we kind of took a left off of I-84 and went down by the water down there. You know there's a riverfront area. They have kind of a park down there. There's sort of a beach area down there. And we parked the car and we got out. And as we got out, I noticed there was a big commotion happening right on this grassy park-like area directly across from where these coffee shops are. And I looked over there and it looked kind of intense. And I saw a woman on the ground and she had dropped dead. I mean, she's there, she's on the ground and people surround her. Someone is starting to do CPR. They're doing compressions. And um, and so my kids took the grandkids like away so they didn't see this and, you know, took them over to this coffee shop. And I said, I'm going to walk over there. I feel like I need to walk over there. So I walked over there and I saw the husband. Now, this was a, a couple and their son who were visiting here from England and they're on vacation in the U.S. and the wife drops dead. And this guy is sitting on a bench. He had walked away. So he's like 20 yards away just sitting on a bench and he's crying and he's like, I just lost my wife. And so I'm over there and I'm like, well, I'm going to say a prayer. So I walk over and, and you know, I'm, I'm sort of a little bit of a distance from what's going on, but I'm just starting to pray. And I noticed some other Christians started to, to come around and started to pray for this woman. Now this went on for a long time. And I mean, I have faith, but I'm looking at this woman and I'm going, I don't know. It doesn't look good. This is going on for a long time. She didn't look healthy um, in, in a lot of ways anyway. And so I'm just thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, this lady came to life. All of a sudden, this lady just like came out of it. She like, she woke up. She, her heart started beating again. It was an amazing, beautiful thing to see. This is what I know. This is what I've observed with my own eyes. It takes a beating heart for a body to be alive. It takes a beating heart. I mean, we all know that's true. Sometimes we see it in front of our eyes. I saw it there. I've seen it other times too. When there is no beating heart, there is no life in the body. And I want you to think about something this morning. I want to apply that truth as a spiritual principle. It is the practice of gospel gratitude that is the beating heart in the life of a Christian man or woman and in the life of a living church. It's the practice of gospel gratitude that is the beating heart. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers will come. They'll give you that Bible. And as you get that Bible in your hand, open up to the book of Colossians and in chapter 2. In the teaching of the Apostle Paul, the practice of... Gospel gratitude, the practice of giving thanks is always at the center. It's at the core of his teaching about what it means to be a living church. It's something I did not understand for many years. I glossed it over. I ran past it in my rush to see deep theological truths. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Colossians 2 is Paul's passion for the church. He cares about the church. He wants to see a living church growing, standing strong at Colossae. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea and all who have not seen, my, seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I read that whole paragraph because I want you to feel Paul's heart. He says, man, I have a... I just have a struggle for you guys. I'm just, in my heart, I'm so worked up. Because I long to see your strength of faith. I long to see you knit together as a community of Christ in love. I long to see you as a church experience all the riches that there are in Christ. That's the heart of a pastor talking. You know, I get that heart. Here's what he says in verses 6 and 7. Therefore, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught. Now here comes this little phrase. He says, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. You know, the first time when I read these words, the first few times I studied this passage That phrase, abounding in thanksgiving, that word thanksgiving seemed strangely out of place to me. Everything else in the passage I took with great seriousness. I'm very serious about the strength and the health of the church. I'm so serious about seeing the body of Christ knit together in love. I'm really serious about Our church experiences all the riches that there are in Christ. I take it super seriously. I'm really serious in verse 7. It says about being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. But then comes the phrase abounding in thanksgiving. And I wasn't so serious about that. The concept of thanksgiving to me seemed like a lightweight kind of thing. Like there's all this gravitas, you know, all this like rooted and grounded and built up and there's enemies and there's false philosophies and there's the truth of Christ. And I'm like, That's, that stuff has weight. And then it's like, what? Thanksgiving, let's sprinkle a little sugar on top of it, like sweeten the pot a little bit. And by the way, just give thanks. Ah, moving on. And then we go to the next thing. What is it about... The concept of thanksgiving. I don't know. Maybe that word, it just takes us to a certain season of the year where there's too much turkey and pumpkin spice or something, you know. But it doesn't seem to carry the weight of all of the other things. And then through the years, I learned that I was actually missing the power of what Paul is saying here. The clue is in the word abounding. Abounding, He says, abounding in thanksgiving. The word abounding, to abound, it means to be present in abundance, to be rich, to be prominent, or literally to overflow. To overflow. It is literally a picture, the, it's a word picture of a river that is overflowing its banks And flooding the land all around it. It's it's a floodplain word, and it means that the river burst over the banks. That's the Greek word literally that means to abound. And the Apostle Paul uses this word specifically of two things. The first is the grace of God, God's grace. Did you know that? It's in Ephesians. You just turn back a few pages in your Bible and go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Ephesians 1, 7. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Do you see the word "lavished"? It's the same word, lavish. To lavish, to overflow, to abound. He just, he just poured it out and it burst the banks of the river. What did? Grace. God uses this word, Paul uses this word in connection with the grace of Christ. It's a grace that overflows its banks. When I was in Myanmar and I was teaching the students there, And we were talking about the grace of Christ and what does it mean to be strong in the grace of Christ. And I use this illustration because they know very well what it means to have a river overflow its banks. In the Delta region of Myanmar, in the rainy season, oftentimes the waters overflow the banks. In fact, I have a couple of slides here because I'm kind of on a roll with Myanmar. So I'll give you a couple of slides. This is one of Nopum's boarding homes. It's kind of hard to see here, but I don't know if you can see, but it's actually completely flooded. And if you go to the next one, you're going to see some boarding home students, and they're carrying things uh, from that home. And I don't know if you can see it or not, but um, the one guy has a smile on his face, which kills me because I'm like, really? (laughs) Like really? Because I would not have a smile on my face if I were in that picture. I can tell you that right now. All right. But you can take the slide down, but that's just an illustration. Okay, so here's what I told them. I said, you guys know, right? You you know what a flood is. You know what it means for a river to burst over the banks, right? You've experienced that in your life. And what I'm here to tell you is that's God's picture of God's grace in your life. You need to know that. And the flood of God's grace is greater than the flood of any problem or circumstance you'll ever encounter in your life. And that's a gospel perspective, Paul uses this word of abounding or overflowing with regard to grace, but then he uses it also to connect to the word gratitude. And so in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7, he says abounding in thanksgiving, or as we're calling it in our trait, gratitude. Overflowing in gratitude. And it's the same exact word. The Christian lives their life in flood stage 24-7, 365 days a week. We live our lives in flood stage. It is a river overflowing of God's grace, and it is a responding river overflowing of gratitude from the heart of the Christian. The Christian lives their life in flood stage. And I'll tell you another connection that's really kind of amazing is the word grace, so he applies it to grace and gratitude. But here's what's really cool, if, if you can tune into the Greek for a minute. The word grace in the Greek is the word charis. Have you heard the word charis before? A lot of people know that word, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. It means grace. The word thanksgiving or gratitude is eucharistia, eucharistia, And that's the word gratitude. And if you listen, you can hear the word grace hidden in the word gratitude in our Bible. At the center of the word gratitude is grace. It's the grace of God. And these things always go hand in hand in the Christian faith and the Christian life. That is why. So now I'm reading Colossians and I'm starting to go, boy, the word Thanksgiving keeps showing up here over and over again. I see Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. What is going on with this word? It's at the core. It seems to be at the center of everything or attached to everything. You can see it in Colossians chapter 3. In verses 15 through 17, think about these words. 315, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Giving thanks to God the Father through him I got three verses. I got Thanksgiving three times. And I'm deadly serious about everything in those verses, except Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm so serious about the peace of Christ ruling in, in hearts and to be called in one body and be thankful. I'm so serious about, let the word of Christ dwell in you ritually and teaching and admonishing, yes. And do it with a thankful heart. Okay, cool. I got it. You see what I'm saying? It's like you can read this and assume that the word thanksgiving is just a little sugar on top or it's just, he's just qualifying it a little in some way. But the more that you study the gospel, you realize no, that's not it. It's actually at the core, it's at the center, it's attached to everything. It actually is the beating heart at the center. Of a living Christian faith and a living Christian church. And if there is no beating heart, there's no life in the body. That's the thing. Now, gratitude isn't just an idea or a feeling, but it's something that we do. So, our trait number three is gratitude, gospel gratitude. But we've got to understand something. When we talk about gratitude, we're not talking about just an idea or a feeling or an attitude. We're actually talking about a practice. That's why in these passages, he says, give thanks. Be thankful. Overflow with thanksgiving. This is something that we actually have to do in our lives, that we actually have to practice. Now, I'm going to tell you something about the seven traits. This is super important. Every one of the seven traits actually is not just a trait, but it's a practice. It's something that we do. And the health of the church is dependent not just on what we think or the ideas or, like, we got really cool traits on our website. The health of the church is because every believer actually is starting to live this way, to do certain things that correspond to these practices. And here's one. It is the practice of gratitude. And I want to talk a little bit about that. But the first thing I want us to understand is why the practice of gospel gratitude is so powerful in the Christian life. Why is this so important? Why is this so powerful for our faith, for our community? Let me give you some reasons. First of all, this. The practice of gospel gratitude, it takes the amazing reality of the gospel and it makes it personal. Makes it personal. It takes something from the, the realm of ideas and theology and it actually connects it to our heart at a personal level. Now, gratitude, by definition, must be personal. It's personal. And if it's personal, what I mean by personal is not just you, there's someone on the other side of the equation, it's interpersonal. See, gratitude is an interpersonal thing because it implies think about it, there's a gift slash grace that comes from a giver to a recipient. That's the way it works. So we start with the giver, the gift. There's a need. And then the recipient receives, and there's gratitude. But to whom? Not just for the gift, but to the giver. So if gratitude is actually working the way that it must work, There's two parties involved. It's not just one person in the universe. I'm just thankful to the universe. Well, what is that? Are you thankful to the cosmic forces? But please, don't do that. That's so tragic and wimpy. This is why. Now, this is why. Now, look, I'm going to talk about Oprah. And I did this 15 years ago. I said something a little snarky about Oprah. And the women in the church came after me for about a year. So it's taken me 15 years to recover, but I'm going to try it again. <laughs> this is the problem. This is the problem with Oprah Winfrey style gratitude. She's big on gratitude, or at least she used to be. I think she kind of moved away from it, but big on gratitude. She had the Oprah gratitude journal and all those things. So I actually you know, went on the web yesterday and I was reading about Oprah. and I was reading her gratitude thing and she knows that gratitude works and, and that type of thing. And, and in her definition, gratitude actually changes your personal energy. It changes your energy. So it's good for you. All right. Now, I actually believe that. That's good. That's fine. It changes your energy, whatever that means. Um, that's cool. But like if you read the stuff that she's grateful for and the way she phrases it, there's no one on the other end of it. But like there's nobody that, that is, you're grateful to. On the other side of the equation, it's just, well, I'm really glad that this happened in my life. I'm super glad, you know, I mean, I'm thankful, which means I'm glad that this happened. But this, it's not interpersonal. There's no one on the other side. I call Oprah Winfrey gratitude the halfway house of gratitude. That's positive. It's halfway there. I mean, it's not bad. I'm just saying it's sort of the halfway house of gratitude because there's no one on the other side. And I have to also say, now, this is, the, this is the part where, I mean, this is really serious and true, is that it takes a humble heart. It takes a humble heart to have a heart of true gratitude. This is the thing. It takes a humble heart. Why? Because a humble heart is a heart that says, I have a need. And I cannot meet my own need. I'm not meeting my own need. There's a need in my life and someone has met that need and I'm grateful to that someone. I'm grateful to the giver. Gratitude is a posture of receiving a gift from someone. Receiving. I I just received a great gift. It's something I really needed. Boom. That's a grateful heart. And when you give thanks, the practice then of gratitude is to actually address the giver and to acknowledge that, you see. There's a kind of gratitude that isn't really gratitude at all. Jesus gave an illustration in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18. He talked about a Pharisee who went into the temple and he prayed. And he prayed like this within himself. He said, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Or even this sinner over here. Translation, God, thank you that I'm so great. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? But this is the part where I am going to just tiny bit reef on Oprah. Like when I read her thing, it was so much, it was, I'm, I'm so thankful that I'm so amazing. I'm so thankful that I've come so far. I'm so thankful that I've accomplished all these amazing things. I'm so thankful that I got to have dinner with the president. I'm so, you know, it's like, we call it the humble boast in the Instagram world you know the humble boast? The humble boast on Instagram. I'm just so honored and humbled that I'm doing this amazing thing. (laughs) And here's a picture of me doing it. And I'm just so honored and humbled to be doing this. We call that the humble boast, right? We live in a world of the humble boast of, of that attitude of gratitude, which basically says, I'm really thankful that I'm amazing and um, that's not gospel gratitude. Gospel gratitude, the power of it, it's that it's personal and then it's humble and then it acknowledges there's a gift and a giver who has given us something that we truly need. That's gospel gratitude and it's super powerful in our lives. And when we have that, it magnifies the glory of God. Magnifies God. Let me show you a verse. It's from Psalm 69. And in verse 30 through 32, it's a great passage. Psalm 69, 30. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Do you know that your true, genuine gospel graduate magnifies God? I like John Piper says there's two ways to magnify something. You can use a microscope, which takes something really, really small and projects it to make it bigger than it actually is. That's magnification. Or you can use a telescope to find something that's actually ginormous and to bring it close and to show it the true glory of what it is. And I like what he says. He says, when we magnify God as Christians, we're not taking some small God and like, blowing it up with false advertising, what we're doing is we're taking something, the most amazing thing of all, and we're magnifying it and we're making it known and we're making it see. And that's what gospel gratitude does. We magnify the glory of God in Christ. And then he says in verse 31 of Psalm 69, this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. And you go, why would God be pleased with that? Right. Well, you know what that is? That's a sacrifice. That's a sacrifice. They, they would bring the sacrifices. This, this is going to please God more than a sacrifice. Why? Because God doesn't just want some religious routine from you. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. That's what God wants. And then you know what it says in verse 32? It says, the humble will see this and be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. The humble Because humble people who, they go, I have a need in my life. Did God meet your need? And you're thankful to him? You magnify God, you magnify the gospel, you magnify grace. The humble hear that. Take a humble, dependent, trusting, grateful heart. And you have the heartbeat of the Christian faith. Take a humble, dependent, trusting, grateful Christian community and you have the heartbeat of Christ living in the center of a gospel community. Gratitude is the beating heart. And it's personal. And it magnifies God. And it's beautiful. But here's something else. The practice of gospel gratitude moves you past your immediate circumstances and puts your eyes on Jesus and the gospel. So there's many verses about gratitude. Here's a very famous one, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. We have it on a slide here. And it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In all things, give thanks. You know, that, that's the famous verse. Like, in everything. Now, I happen to be one of those people who believes that it, it says in everything, not necessarily for everything, but in everything, in every circumstance, no matter what. Because, you see, gospel gratitude is different than just being grateful for my circumstances, I know people that they have really, really messed up circumstances. Their hearts are broken. They're hurting. And someone comes along and says, you should be grateful that that's happening in your life. And I'm trying to do the math on that. I'm going, I don't know about that. All right. Actually, I think that you should be grateful for something that transcends those circumstances, something that is greater than those circumstances, something that is truer than those circumstances. And that's the grace of God in Christ in your life. I saw a young man walking across a flooded street holding some pots and pans that he pulled out of a boarding home in Myanmar with a smile on his face. I'm like, how do you do that? How do you do that? We live in a weird culture. Every time I go out of our country into the third world and I come back, I get back and I have shock. And this is what I've begun to say to people. We live... Portland, Oregon is a black hole for faith. It's the black hole. Like you get to other parts of the world where they have nothing but tragedy. And I find Christians on fire for Jesus and people who are thankful everywhere. They're thankful. They worship. They praise. And I come back here and I find people that have everything. And so often they're miserable and they're cynical. And they don't believe in God and they're entitled in all of these things. And they're worried if the circumstances control everything. This is my line. This is what I say. People in Portland. This is their attitude. I'm not sure if there is a God. But if he does exist, I know two things. He owes me an apology and an explanation. <laughs> That's the attitude. I'm not sure if there's a God. But if, if he's there, he owes me an apology and an explanation. Because he has screwed up big time. That's the black hole. I leave the country, I go other places, I don't see that so much. We live in a place where it's difficult to live in the true practice of gospel gratitude, but we must because it is the living heartbeat of Christian faith and of Christian community. I'm going to share one last thing with you about the power of it, and that is that the practice of gospel gratitude overflows through our lives in generosity to others. So see, there's this flood that happens. And I don't have time to unpack all the scriptures, but in Corinthians, it talks about how grace and gratitude and generosity, they all go together. You know, I find people who are grateful people, I find them to be the most generous of people. They're just generous. Like God's brought a flood in my life, man. Here's, here's, here's some for everyone around. It's beautiful. This is the power of gospel gratitude in our lives. And so now God is calling us to enter deeply into this practice of gospel gratitude. Now, practice is something that you do. You have to do it. This was the way of Jesus himself. I'm going to close with Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 22. And I'm going to show you a picture of gospel gratitude in the life of Jesus and the disciples. Luke 22, and in verse 19. Jesus, at what we call the Last Supper, it says he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup was poured out for you, the new covenant in my blood. And behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. So you don't want to stop reading too early. You got you to see the hand on the table to get it. It's Jesus, the last supper. What's he doing? He's talking about the cross. He's talking about his death on the cross. His body broken. His blood spilled out for forgiveness of sins. He's talking about grace. The flood of God's grace. that will come and it comes at a price. There's a big price to pay. And in the face of all that, you know what Jesus does? He gives thanks. He gives thanks. Because he knows that even though it's going to be difficult and painful. So difficult. He knows that the grace of God is greater than all of that and will work through all of that and will bring salvation to our lives, forgiveness of sins to our lives. He knows all of that and he knows, he knows that on the table is the hand of his betrayer and he gives thanks in the face of all of that because it's gospel gratitude. It's not about the circumstances. It's not about how easy or difficult things are going to be that are in front of them. It's about the amazing truth of the gospel in the face of anything. Now, Jesus gave thanks. And so because we know that the word to give thanks is eucharisteo or eucharistia, we hear the word eucharist in that. Eucharist. Now, some of you, if, maybe if you have a Catholic background, you're going to recognize the word eucharist. Because in the Catholic tradition the wafer that is given during communion is called the Eucharist. So some of those of you who know that terminology, you might go, I didn't know why that was called the Eucharist. I thought it was just like a religious word for that. But actually, all it means is thanksgiving. It's thanksgiving. And why is it called the Eucharist? Because Jesus gave thanks. We call our... Sharing of communion. We call it the Lord's table. The Lord's table. We come to the table. And I want you to know this is the table of thanksgiving. Christ gave thanks because he knew it was gospel salvation for the world. And we go to the table with our hearts responding in a flood of thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your love. And it's personal. It's personal. And we know who we're talking to. We know what he's done. We know who he is. And it's personal. It's humble. And it's grateful. It's a table of thanksgiving. Now, this, it's a practice. And so we, our leadership of our church has said, this is what we want to do. Beginning next Sunday, which is our communion Sunday, we will be, celebrating the Lord's table of thanksgiving every Sunday at every service. It's going to happen every every single week. Every time you come, we're going to go to the table. And you know what that table is? It's the table of thanksgiving. And when you go to the table, you think about it, when you go to the table, you're coming to the heartbeat of God, coming to the beating heart of the Christian faith. God the giver Grace being given, us in need, the recipients, returning in gratitude to the Lord. And what we're doing is, in that practice, is we're learning kind of a rhythm of the Christian life, of living in the practice of gospel gratitude week after week after week, and then going out and living that out through the week. Because it doesn't end on Sunday, and you just go out and you go, how can I live this out in my life? We come to God even in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. We come with our wounds, our burdens, our pains, our fears. And we come to a table that is greater than all of those things combined. It's the reality of Christ and the gospel and his grace and his love for us. And we come to that table and we stand in front and we say, what are we going to believe today? What are we going to believe about God? Are you going to believe only based on your circumstances or are you going to believe the gospel, the hope, the truth of Christ? That's the challenge. And you know, Portland might be a black hole for faith, but this place needs to be a light on a hill. We need to be a light on a hill. And the way to be a light on a hill is to live in this trait of gospel gratitude Personally. Now, we could say, yeah, our church subscribes to that, but our church is only as healthy as every single member, every single person in the congregation says, yeah, that's that's me. And I'm just learning about it. I'm growing in it. I'm getting better at it. And I'm I'm learning to live this way. And, man, the heart just starts beating. It's just being stronger and stronger and stronger. That's what we're going for. Can we take a minute right now and pray and offer thanks to the Lord? Father, you're beautiful to us, Lord. We've come to see you and know you through the face of Christ, our Savior. You've sent your Holy Spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's personal, Lord, with you. It's personal with us. We thank you that we can go beyond the halfway house of weak gratitude that enumerates blessings but never acknowledges the giver. And we're here to say thank you, Lord. We want to magnify you, Lord. Magnify you because of the truth of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, for our church that the heartbeat of gospel gratitude might be strong in us, Lord. May it be more and more growing in strength. And may it magnify you. And may it be a light in a very dark place, Lord. We thank you, Lord. And right now, would you take a minute and just, just in your own heart, could you just thank the Lord to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for hope in the face of Whatever is going on in my life, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Meet us, Lord, I pray, in the place of need, in the place of grace, in the place of gratitude. Meet us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.